Welcome back to the Drift segment of the House Call Sports. I am Ollie, he is Joel, and I'm going to promise not to, um, you know, to do this intro segment without breaking into song and dance because of how well McLaren did. Woo! But, yeah, today, if you haven't already noticed, we are going to recap the British Grand Prix and what a British Grand Prix it was. Before we do anything like that, I'm going to take you through the finishing order. This week on the Max Verstappen Show... He is joined by Lando Norris and Lewis Hamilton on the podium with Oscar Piastri coming in at P4 with potential for even more, which was disappointing to to not see him go on and achieve. Then George Russell in fifth, Sergio Perez with an impressive recovery in sixth, Fernando Alonso in seventh, Alec Talbon in eighth, a string of good performances from him in the Williams, and the two Ferraris, ninth and tenth, Leclerc ahead of Sainz to make up the points, Logan Sargent 11th, Valtteri Bottas from the back of the grid in 12th, Nico Hulkenberg in 13th, Lance Stroll 14th, Joe Guan Yu 15th, Yuki Tsunoda 16th, Nick DeVries, the last of the runners in 17th, and then the three DNFs, Pierre Gasly, Kevin Magnussen, and Esteban Ocon. Now, let's let let's do it. Let's discuss the gigantically fucking-sized elephant in the room, McLaren. What Woo! a weekend for them. We're back, baby. We are back. (laughs) This is where it gets confusing for me because I told you, I I was saying at the end of qualifying, like, I'm going to wait until the race to get a better picture of where they are. Mm -hmm. The race has happened. They were fucking flying. I Uh still have no idea where they are because they still seem like, especially Oscar, him being his modest self, he was like, they they know they still have weaknesses. Mm -hmm. They're a track where they're not going to be as quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, that's for sure. D- but this is definitely, I think, shut down the whole track-specific argument, which people use to say how well Lando did in Austria, because sure. they, they they looked at that and they were going, "Oh yeah, well it's Austria. Lando's always really good in Austria." But then they just come uh-huh. to Silverstone, and uh-huh. holy fuck, they have absolutely—they're just flying. Yeah, yeah. I well, conditions were great. That's another thing to throw in there. Uh, we've we've known for a while now that the McLaren car likes colder conditions, and we had this kind of like misty, kind of cold, cloudy track and and weather all all the race. So that that's to be thrown in there. But I do think that it shows something. I mean, we saw Lando get the upgrades, and then he jumped ahead. But there was a question of is that just Lando at Austria? Or is that car upgrades? Is it both? And then Piastri got most of the upgrades, all but what did you say? Uh, all but he, he ran the old spec front wing. The front wing, yeah. yeah. So most of the upgrades and uh, chunks up and pretty much matches, you know, Norris's performance. Like they were right on each other. I think uh, Piastri was told, you know, team orders for the most of it so they were just maintaining for before all the pit stops happened and just an excellent performance not even tossing in that he's a rookie just an excellent performance period <laughs> from Piastri. Well, i guess they thought they could sort of tow each other towards verstappen but that sort of it made sense and it didn't telling him to hold position because mm. yeah you, you you don't want both of your cars taking each other out when you're second and third yeah. but if they can if they could sort of when drs got enabled Oscar gets DRS behind Lando, moves ahead, then Lando gets DRS behind Oscar, moves back ahead, and they just sort of train each other towards Max. That might have helped. And then McLaren would have had two cars to attack Max, but he brought him into an un-Max-like error. And who knows, yeah. the outcome would have been different. I guess so. Although you usually see some speed scrub off when you're having you know, position changes. I think that Piastri was staying... Um, I, I, I genuinely guess that he was staying 
instructed to to stay between a second and a half to two seconds because that i think that's right in that like clean air but not out of reach uh distance from the car ahead so i think he just wanted to have clean air clean aerodynamics um but still have a kind of two car wall from anybody behind but i mean they didn't really need the defense from behind they they really could have um pushed towards verstappen and i think they that's that was their focus and it was a shame they didn't realize anything like that sooner because then we could have had maybe a, a bit more of an interesting battle in the early stages of the race because, uh-huh. yeah, Lando had a flying start. He, he took P1. He took the lead of the race at the first corner. Oscar nearly went up the inside of both Lando and Max at the first corner. Oh, my and gosh. Amazing. We had it slightly filtered out, and I can't like just explain my unbridled excitement when Lando <laughs> was pulling away a little bit because I saw the yeah. gap go up. It was like over a second, and then it came yeah. back down. And then Max passed, and it was like, yeah, well, it's fine. He's this again, in it? Same old, same old, but... Yeah, it was crazy, it been, Max. Yeah, because like, they had the, the plan to sort of just completely shut down Max. And I think that was Lando the plan, jumping yeah. in. Yeah, you uh-huh. had Lando jumping in, and then you wanted Oscar to jump in as well. Or either yeah. Oscar just to sit right behind and pose as a little threat to, yeah. to maybe make a mistake. And, and then you've got Max thinking, well, hang on, do I look ahead to Lando, or do I look behind to Oscar, who could get past me as well? Uh-huh. But there was definitely a little bit of a strategy thing from the start, from the opening mm-hmm. lap. And it nearly worked, to be fair. And I saw, yeah. I don't know if like this, the, the, the camera angle or anything, but it looked so much like Oscar was about to launch it up the inside of Cops on Max. And you're thinking, where have yeah. we seen this before? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Verstappen in that, like, after podium or pre-podium, but like in the race room in the back after the- the cool-down room, yeah. Yeah, I think he mentioned that he was like basically nearly side-by-side with Oscar for a split sec. And Lando was really surprised to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, that was an incredible start. And I I was just mesmerized. They replayed it so many times. And every time my eyes just go right to Piastri, just like right over to the side. They had that plan and he executed it. It was cool, really cool. Yeah, it um, Norris was pulling ahead for those first couple laps but then somehow another verstappen just you know completely got it got it together and caught up like a half second got within drs right when drs would have been enabled and then the rest is history but man did they put pressure on on red bull there because no one was expecting lando to even lead let alone right. for four laps i, know. I would have perfect i would have been perfectly content with like a top five finish yeah and you know, they just go out and do that. Like, uh-huh. it's just like I, no matter what they did at that point, no matter how much they want to become the orange Ferrari, which we'll discuss, uh, you know, they, they've already exceeded so many expectations. Yeah. And they just remembered who they were. Yeah. My real, my, my optimistic expectations were Norris P1, one, two, Piastri P2. <laughs> but then my realistic were if they both finish top five, I'm happy, and if either of them get a podium, I'm ecstatic. And that's oh, yeah. what happened. That's what happened. Um, yeah. Let's see. So the race was pretty settled until uh, it was Magnuson whose car caught on fire that caused the safety car, full safety car. Some that, drivers yeah. had already pitted. That that, um, that caught a lot of people off guard, and it caught me off guard especially. <clears throat> Because yeah. the lap before, I was talking about how how long George had gone on a sauce. And I was thinking, I, I was saying, because I was watching this yeah. with my sister, I, I said, I looked across and I said, oh, well, maybe now we're at the point where you can box on sauce and maybe go to the end if you've got a new yeah. set or if you've got a, 
really like a really low wear used set. So Especially I, I mean, two two yeah. two weekends ago, we saw and the tire the, strategy. Yeah, and then the lap after I say that, Lance Stroll pits for softs. So uh -huh. I'm there, sat there, like, get me on the pit wall, get me on the pit wall, yeah, get me on the pit wall. I Everybody look away knew. for ten seconds. I look uh -huh. away for ten seconds. Look back. Magnuson's on fire. Get a fire extinguisher. Get a fire extinguisher. <laughs> That's exactly how it went. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So George starting on softs really tipped the hat to the strategy and some teams picked up on it. McLaren did not. I mean, it worked out in the end, but it took a hell of a lot of racing skill and racecraft to for Norris to stay ahead of Hamilton in the end on hards and uh, and Piastri, honestly, on hards to pull it together as well behind and forth to stay in his position. Yeah. But yeah, George demonstrated that his three lap old softs that he started on they were used from qualifying i take it yeah yeah they went till lap like what like 27 or something like he didn't pit until well after halfway through the race uh yeah halfway through the race and to me especially after two weekends ago when we saw the entire race fold over to ferrari because they realized a one stop was possible whether accidentally or on purpose uh that freshened everybody's mind Every team got it together and they were like, okay, softs for the rest of it. Even though they're used softs for, I think, almost everybody, they threw on used softs. But um, McLaren went conservative. I can see why they have to do that. It's a real big risk because this is what it comes down to. It did work out to be kind of like, um, it, it, it worked out kind of like not extreme on either side. Like the softs didn't overly dominate and they didn't, you know, lose out on all their positions. Um, but also, you know, it's not like the softs fell off and the hards proved to be correct and they gained positions because of the smart choice. It was the conservative choice. But if you can imagine if they would have taken a risk with the advantage and the race that they'd been having, the weekend that they'd been having, if they took a risk and it went wrong, they had much more to lose than to gain is basically what went into that decision, I think. And as much as we'd like to play backseat strategists, and I was literally screaming at the screen, Hards, what are you doing? everybody knows soft put on the soft zach you're stupid like that i was totally annoyed by that but well, i understand why they made the decision it does, more yeah. to lose than a game it does make sense because if you look historically mclaren have had very big problems with tire wear and oh, okay they, so yeah they've always had problems with tire wear and another thing about the mclaren is they can fire their tires up like that so quickly apparently and you think Verstappen would have known that because as the safety car was coming in, the first thing he did was slam on the brakes, go about 20 mile an hour in first gear to make sure Orlando couldn't warm his tires up to go on an attack. Ah, so, yeah. no. McLaren, they just wanted the... Because, like the, the whole tire wear thing, and they just wanted fresh tires on. So they knew that they wouldn't have that in the back of their mind, like what if we go out and what, maybe get a puncture or something because we historically uh, are very bad with tire wear. And that also speaks to the level of trust they have in Lando and Oscar that... They can manage the race from there and yeah. he can put and they, they can put on one hell of a defensive display maybe even go after max which obviously didn't happen but the, the defensive display is there and then oscar yeah. at the end as well pulling a second on the last lap to finish yeah. only nine tenths behind the behind the podium yeah i think he was like two and a half seconds behind uh, hamilton at some point in those final 10 laps and then like by the by the end of the race he was within like you said nine tenths it was crazy crazy performance yeah uh lando kind of threw zach under the bus in his interview <laughs> did you catch that 
<laughs> yeah. Lando wanted softs and I think like went on about it in the interview like he had said his piece and then he returned back to it and was like it's all Zach's fault I think he wanted it <laughs> it's like damn he, he talks about the strategists yeah goes, oh, a, a lot, he said I think a lot of us did a good job but there some of us are still a bit amateurs uh-huh yeah it was you pretty know, brutal he's, he's always really he's always really joking he's in the he's in the and um like he said in qualifying yesterday max ruined everything which yeah. he did i literally I, I don't know i i don't think i've collapsed to my like to the floor quicker than when max went on pole yesterday i was that i know close. i know and i really didn't think he would get it i thought we had it in the bag because um on he that lap two. Like, he, had, he, he, he didn't even improve on his own sector two or sector one it was a yellow sector one and sector two and then a purple sector three and he pulled off pole like jesus christ actually going back to qualifying going back to qualifying like verstappen wasn't um locking it in the whole qualifying like q2 he kind of struggled i think he didn't get p1 uh and q3 it looked like for the entire session he was just chilling around like you know it's genuinely like p4 p5 but you know you still have to see how the last lap comes in but he had just pitted for new tires and then pitted again this is like five minutes and in, into uh like about halfway through uh q3 he had just pitted for new tires he wasn't fast he pitted again i didn't catch what happened on that pit stop but it was too fast i don't think that he changed tires i don't know what the fuck happened and then just goes out and pulls off the the magic i don't know what he pitted for what they changed did they tweak a wing did they get data at the last second that made the difference it was miraculous that he just pulled that out of the bag it's not the first time he's done that either remember monaco mm. like, yeah he just gains so much time it's like it's almost as if he's got like constant communication with his engineer gp and he's just look, looking at him back he's like okay you've had a shit sector two you had a shit sector two we need sector three and he's like, yeah. say less, my G, and absolutely fucking flaws it. Yeah, I mean, full credit to him. He just has a, a amazing, amazing pace. He just pulls things, he pulls things through. I, I think that he's operating on a different level than a lot of drivers. Like he just picks up on a lot of the little nuances and uh, he doesn't necessarily communicate all the things he's thinking and doing, but you can just tell by his results. Like he he's factoring in how much weight in the fuel, how much tires, how much, uh you know track temperature around each turn like that's what it takes to pull the results that he does on these just like amazing performances so credit credit to max he deserves it but i will say he was sweaty this race he was sweaty he was questioning their strategy he was like i see leclerc going in for tires do we stick with our strategy that's not something you say when you're just out in the clear he was sweating well, I think a, a lot of the reasoning for that was that nobody was expecting McLaren to be up there and to be as competitive as he was. Did you see his reaction to to seeing both Lando and Oscar in the top three in qualifying? Oh, no, I didn't. He, he was talking to one of his mechanics. He looked back and he was like, huh? He just looked over and he was like, how the fuck are they here? Wait, he didn't realize that they were top no. P2 and P3? No, not until he got out of the car and he saw them both in front. He saw Oscar lining up the third thing with his uh -huh. tongue. I was like, eh? What the? <laughs> what? Yeah, the tractors so are a here. Bit what? Of that, yeah. So a bit of that, I think, was down to him, you know, he, his regular contenders yeah. were back in like P6, P7. Mm -hmm. And then you just got McLaren who have come from absolutely nowhere. And you think, mm -hmm. well, if they can make that short step in two weeks, 
Uh-huh. Could they actually challenge me for a win? We don't know. Because this is the first race we've seen properly both cars yeah. at their best, shall we say? Well, sort of at, at their best. best so far. So far, <laughs> yeah. And then if you're Max, then you could be thinking, well, hang on. We haven't seen this yet. We don't know where the limit is. So they right. could be even quicker than what they're showing now. And they could eventually right. go quicker and challenge me for a win. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, Lando Prost and uh, and and Oscar uh, Senna there. Oscar Senna. <laughs> That's a big statement. But they did definitely seem like they were working together. The team was clicking on all, you know, firing on all cylinders. I think we need to now do the biggest rain dance of our lives because you, you, we were talking about Prost and Senna, and that's reminded me. Red Bull have just equaled that record of 11 yeah, straight wins 11. set by Prost and Senna in yep. 1988 for yep. McLaren. So I think we need to do the biggest rain dance in the world for Hungary just yeah. to make sure he doesn't get the 12th win. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so I don't want to jump ahead too much because we have more to talk about about this race, but I'm excited thinking about Hungary. I don't, my memory's um, worse than a goldfish. What is Hungary usually like? Will McLaren have any kind of uh, condition advantage or what are you thinking? Well, Hungary over the years has gained a very iconic nickname. It's a Monaco without the barriers, pretty oh, much. Okay. Is what they say. So it's very downforce orientated. And okay. There are quite a few high-speed corners where you're just pinning it down, uh, especially, I don't know what, what, what turn number it is, but just as you're going into the third sector, there's a right-hander just before a heavy braking zone, and that right before there, that's practically flat. So you could okay. see, and that's where a lot of overtakes are getting made, but obviously there's that big, long straight where the um, one of the only two DRS zones is. So I don't know. that There are very like a, a couple corners in Hungary where... You, you click through there and you've got to be committed. And it mm. is where a higher downforce package will really suit the car. Okay. All right. So I don't know. I don't want to get optimistic yet. Yeah. I want to wait until maybe qualifying on the Saturday of the Hungarian Grand Prix. Fair well, enough. Do we know, do we know anything about weather forecasts? What temperatures it typically is in Hungary well, this time of the year? It's normally wet. Oh. It is normally very wet, but it also okay. dries very quickly. If we, we don't have to go that far back, to be fair, to 2021, where it had started raining in the the lead up to the to the race start. I think when they were all on the grid, it was bone dry about half an hour before the race start, and then it was inters for the start. Mm. Now, obviously, you had um, Valtteri Bottas going bowling at the at the turn one with, oh, yeah. with Lando Norris smacking into. The two Red Bulls, and then you had Stroll murdering Leclerc. And then Ricardo yeah. getting caught up in that as well. I think six cars out on the spot. But, and then right after that, like, it had dried up to the point where everybody, except Lewis Hamilton, had pitted on the, the installation lap after the red flag restart. Uh, and then that obviously gave us the iconic image of Lewis Hamilton being the only one to do yeah. the standing start. That's that race. Okay, interesting. Wow. All right. Well, uh, so it's very well, unpredictable weather. It's almost like Spa. I don't hate that. I don't hate that. It's in that. that sort of region. Yeah. And Piastri will have all the rest. Of it. He'll have his front wing for Hungary. I believe so. It'd be cruel to keep that from him any longer after what he's just done today with the old one. Yeah. Like... Oh, man. Piastri. Oh, would it? Because he was absolutely flying without, yeah. the, without the new wing. For sure. So... 
I mean, in qualifying, he was only, what, like half second off of Norris's pace? Oh, no. We lost Ollie. All right, guys. This is the time. Whenever Ollie's uh, uh, computer crashes, that's when we do an ad spot. And you know what? We're going to keep doing ad spots every time Ollie's computer crashes until we can buy Ollie a new computer. All right? So if you want less... If you want less... Uh, ad spots you know just buy some merch we got the link in the f1 store buy a mclaren t-shirt my fucking god they're coming back mclaren's back on top get some merch get some of that lando merch get some of that mclaren orange merch we'll get <laughs> we'll get holly back on here in a second uh what i want to know is what you guys uh what you guys' favorite drivers are and what you guys' favorite teams are. If you're watching this, just drop in there what your favorite team is, what drivers are you following? Because one thing I'm aware of is we're pretty heavy on McLaren because Ollie and I are both obviously big McLaren fans. Uh, but, you know, if we start hearing other people around other teams, maybe we'll start including more teams because uh, we need reminders on that. We, we, we need reminders. We try to do a balanced, you know, approach for everybody. But it's just um, right now. Can you blame us? It's such an exciting time for McLaren right now. Uh, I'll go back and kind of like emphasize what we kind of already talked about with tire strategy. But Ferrari two weekends ago got the strategy right, taking us back to that weekend. That was Canadian Grand Prix. Uh, it seemed that a one stop was better than a two stop and Ferrari got that right. They pushed their tires um, long enough past the halfway point and got the, uh, got the one stop in and they gained meaningful positions because of that. And that, that really uh, threw Ferrari up into the top contention and the other teams who did a two stop, it seemed really unnecessary to do that two stop in hindsight. And so Ollie's back, ladies and gentlemen. Ollie's back. Hey, it's all good because every time your computer crashes, I do an ad, I do an ad spot. You know, and, there are four uh, things that are certain in this life: death, taxes, Max Verstappen winning a Grand Prix, <laughs> and my PC fucking killing itself when I'm trying to record. <laughs> every time your computer crashes, I do an ad spot, and I told uh... him. I told him we're gonna keep doing ad spots until you get a new computer. So if you want less crashes, less ads, then you know, buy buy a piece of merch. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a sticker on my PC now that says Nicholas Latifi, because all he does is fucking crash. <laughs> <laughs> oh <All right>. boy. <laughs> well, I was just uh reviewing what we'd already talked about, so let's let's get into some different shit uh oh, please <laughs> let's see oh i want to talk about i want to talk about ghastly about to be murdering stroll tonight yes. like literally i think stroll is going to die he's calling his security he needs to get on his dad's jet and get the fuck out of silverstone now. yeah yeah so so what happened is stroll went for uh a pass on Gasly did make it by him, but completely off the track. So passed under track limits. And uh, Gasly got on the radio and said, Stroll needs to give that position back now. <laughs> now! Now, in all caps. Now. And you know, Gasly, that's a new emotion for him. When Gasly's frustrated, he never feels frustrated. You know, we know that. So that was an interesting thing. 
I'm joking. <laughs> Gasly's always just, you know, cucumberantly cool. So, uh, and then Stroll's like, yeah, 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 you can have your position back. Yeah, no worries. I'll just send it on the next lap. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's basically what happened is Stroll then hit Gasly and Gasly's rear suspension broke as a result. Gasly's out of the race altogether and it's all Stroll's fault. And Stroll, I think, is sprinting as fast as he can. Uh, to Hungary already. He's just like, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, he's setting up the trap so when Gasly gets there, so he can't do anything. Yep, exactly. Yeah, he's like, Dad, get 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 security on the line. I'm gonna need them to sleep beside me in bed tonight. <laughs> get the snipers ready. I'm landing. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, Gasly justifiably angry. You know. Sometimes Gasly is hear. angry. Yeah, I didn't hear a radio message from Gasly after he got hit. I can only imagine the few. He was too mad. <laughs> it, he did give a radio message, but it was too low, uh, low frequency. It was just like, you know, this hellish grumble that was lower <laughs> frequency than humans can hear. Um, so we didn't pick up on it, but he was growling like the fucking devil. Uh, uh, he must have given Stroll the death stare in the media pen post race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, yeah, there might so... be a story developing there. Who knows? Let's get let's see in Hungary and then yeah. if, if we have a, a replacement due to death at Aston Martin <laughs> after Hungary, then we'll know. <laughs> yeah, who who will need to be replaced first? DeVries or uh Stroll via death? <laughs> well Felipe Drugovic is just sat back like, come on, Gasly, please. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Say do it! Yeah, so let's talk about the three rookies. I mean, it's not necessarily a straight comparison because there's a lot to do with cars, but Piastri, fucking Rookie shining star legend. Rookie, Rookie of, of the, the year. year. Yes! Sure. Uh, Logan, you know, mixed bag of results, Getting but he there. had his best finish this this weekend. He finished P11. That's commendable. Yeah. That's And that's from P13 point. in Austria, which is, again, mm-hmm. where we said he had his probably arguably his best performance of the season. Yeah. Bar, maybe Bahrain. So... Um, Considering rookie year, I think he's doing just fine. I think yeah. he can justify keeping a seat and plugging along next year. DeVries... He's racing for his job. I think that would have been yeah. said before this weekend. And right. after this weekend, it's even more the case. Yeah, it's only more <laughs> true. For sure. Helmut Marco breathing down his neck like as severely as it's ever been. Yeah. Daniel Ricciardo is laughing, um, yeah. as is Liam Lawson. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I pray for, for Nick DeVries because I don't think it'll be long before he gets told to swiftly fuck off. And do you think that'll happen inside of this season or he just won't return for next season? I did. The Red Bull are very on and off with giving people chances. Um, I do see, I don't, I don't think he'll get replaced mid season. Okay. Because some people are calling for that. A lot of people are calling for that, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's still Nick DeVries. It's still Formula 2 champion, Formula E champion. Mm-hmm. One of the best drivers we've seen come through the Junior Series in a long time. And you don't yeah. want to let a talent Especially like Especially if you ask him. Yeah. You don't want to let <laughs> a driver of that caliber slip yeah. through your fingers just because he's had a bad season. Everyone has a bad season. And it's his first year in Formula 1. Like, Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I'll play devil's advocate. It's his first year in Formula One. 
it's not as um you know he, he's got a lot of experience underneath him and at some point all of those past successes build up against you you know it's like you have all this experience so like what is he 28 he's not like a youngin no i think he's in his late 20s i think he's 28 you kind of want to see some performance out of somebody if you're going to sign somebody that quote-unquote late into their career considering the sport ages these days excusing alonzo who throws off the average we have to count by median because alonzo's on the grid instead of average but yeah i don't i don't know that his past experience is working with him at this point i think that shows that he really should have it together by now um versus like a rookie like piastri super young and just like whipping it out there and logan Sargent, how old is he he's early 20s or he's i think a year older than oscar okay so yeah is that 19 is oscar 18 uh no god if oscar is i think oscar is 20 Logan Oscar's is 20, 21 yeah, okay. got it got it so they're both pretty young and uh, i don't know i think at some point your past experience really uh demands that you do better instead of just adding to like future potential you know what i mean well, if you, if you look at this from De Vries's POV, like, it's a lot more understandable because you just come from, you know, absolutely dominating Formula E, then dominating Formula 2, then you yeah. get put in a Williams in Monza, that, that's a car that suits your driving style to a T, uh-huh. and then go on and score points, and then you just get thrown into your first full season, uh-huh. like, after multiple teams are battling for your signature, so there's a lot of pressure on there, because you yeah. you feel desired, you feel wanted, and you're not, you, you've yeah. got that pressure on yourself, like, right, I've got to live up to the expectations now. And he's been thrown into a car that is heavily orientated towards Yuki Tsunoda's driving style. Sure. Him being the senior member of the team. Mm-hmm. What, what can you do? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, he, he typically we talk about drivers starting under Williams as kind of getting a nice, comfortable, soft entry into Formula One. There's not high expectations. Um, but because of his history and because of his performance in that one race, last year i think and because of honestly you know his own words ended up being kind of used against him uh came in a little cocky he did have more expectations than a driver typically does when they're just starting under williams so i i don't know i don't know if it's psychology or car setup or just this is about his level of performance i don't know what it is but at this point i think he needs a moonshot um to really change sentiment well, that's the thing. You were talking about Williams giving the the, the platform and being a good, mm-hmm. like, low pressure environment to enter Formula One. That's yeah. what Williams practically a bit have been there for the past right. 10 or 20 years. Is just they're now a platform for people to enter Formula One and show themselves as a talent. That's mm-hmm. what Nick DeVries did. That's what George Russell did. Not mm-hmm. quite what Latifi did <laughs> or Robert Kubica. Yeah. Right. But we don't know how, how much of a talent he was back in the day. But speaking of of Williams, uh, Carlos signs his contract is expected to expire at the end of this year, mm. and Ferrari are eyeing a potential move for Alex Albon. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. That would probably I, be yeah, a good move. That would be a very good move. Albon is such a fantastic driver, so underutilized by Red Bull. But then again, like, what what can you do? You know, you look at your teammate. Like, come on, if if there's a world where a teammate at Red Bull is getting prioritized over Max Verstappen, shoot me, hell's frozen over. I don't, something like that. Like, yeah. there's just yeah. no chance that you're getting prioritized in a team run by Christian Horner over Max Verstappen. There's no way. 
yeah i yeah i think um i worry because i ferrari you know seems to like be the team that good drivers go to be destroyed by strategy <laughs> but um albin it's a is team where good drivers go to get destroyed full stop yeah like kimmy right yeah. sebastian vettel Fernando oh. Alonso before he went to McLaren when he had that little stint with Ferrari, he was good there first, but then he just sort of trundled out. I bet Science is um, wondering how he might be doing right now if he didn't he had move the to option. Ferrari. He had the option to go back to McLaren at the end of last year. Oh, he did. When the whole yeah, when the whole Daniel Ricciardo uh, before they signed going, Piastri. Yeah, the the oh. contract apparently was already signed with Piastri before. Uh, yeah, because they signed a contract on the first of July. Okay. On the 4th of July, Ricardo posted a video saying that he was fully committed to McLaren. Whoa. Yeah, they did that. <laughs> and it was between Oscar Piastri and, and Carlos Sainz. And that was obviously the reason behind that whole Twitter firestorm. Yeah, wasn't that Piastri. later? Wasn't that in August? Or was that later July? When was that, that that tweet came out? Was it around the, that same day? The days? tweet was in August. Okay, I thought so. But that yeah. was when the contract had already been signed by Piastri for McLaren. Right, and Alpine. And then Carlos Sainz had that option <laughs> to go back to to McLaren, but he was like, nah, yeah. I want to stick see. with Ferrari. I think they're in a much better place at this point. Maybe, well, maybe he was right. Maybe after this weekend, he was wrong. Maybe. Maybe. That's the I'm thing. I'm still you trying know, not to get optimistic, but I can't help it. I, I really love this dynamic with this sport where it comes more it, it, it comes down to more than just like individual driver performance. It also comes down to more than just the car and the engineering, but also just like the team cohesiveness and dynamics and like contracts and things like that. I feel like especially in this sport, more than others, it's just it's a really big part of the strategy because things can change year to year. And I just think that's a fascinating thing to follow. Like what moves do drivers make do they fuck themselves do they work themselves into a better situation that they wouldn't have had access to before it's just really fun well that's the, the dilemma because you can either prove yourself as a, a good teammate and then get scouted by a good team to go and play second fiddle to someone else or right. you can try work as hard as you possibly can be the best driver you can be and then hope that you'll get scouted by a top team to be their number one driver or a midfield team to be their number one driver, which will be the most likely option. So it, 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 it's tough. Like, it was the same situation that, that Checo Perez found himself in at the end of 2020. Yeah. Like, he his contract ran out with Racing Point where he was the number one driver, mm -hmm. despite Stroll's dad owning the team. Mm -hmm. um, then he moves to Red Bull, gets pushed behind Verstappen, even though he's in the quicker car. And then now... His entire place at the team is in doubt because he's missed Q3 in the last five races. But he had a great race today. That was one of the things I was going to bring up. Speaking of second fiddle, do you think Checo kind of made up for his qualifying blunder by making his way back up to P6 from P15? Well, definitely in the eyes of the viewer, but not in, not for Christian Horner. He He's going to want Perez Podium. to be qualifying 1-2, finishing 1-2, every mm -hmm. race, no excuse. And now he's got a driver that's a liability in qualifying, can only yeah. recover so many places in the race to end up finishing in midfield points. Yep. How much longer can he put up with that? Yeah. And one thing that um, maybe should be talked about a little bit, not to take away from Perez's climb back up, but when drivers on the grid see Red Bull car behind them, 
um, they don't put up much of a fight because they're still the opinion of what's the point? I'm going to scrub tires. Yeah. So just let him buy. So whenever Perez makes his way back up the grid and has these amazing races, I always kind of imagine an asterisk next to it because everybody's so intimidated by that car, they just let him buy. It's you not like he's... You see him in the mirrors and I was like, oh, what's the fucking point? I'm going to lose the position anyway. Right. I mean, he's still fast and he's still gaining those positions. Can't take that away from him in reality, but there's a little bit of a, you know... Um, blue flag almost situation I've, there yeah. every time I've only ever seen him throwing a handful of good performances at Red Bull Abu Dhabi 2021 when he held up Lewis Hamilton to, to bridge like a 25 second gap to max Monaco mm. 22 when he just was on fire throughout the entire um, weekend and then yeah. in Jeddah and in Baku as well but mm. like come on like, yeah. A few good performances doesn't make up for a very string of like underwhelming performances based on where your car should be. Not for Horner. No, not not especially <laughs> not for Horner, who has a very good history of yeah. booting people out once they don't get a few good results. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Horner will not settle. No. Which, as he shouldn't, you know, I commend that. Um. So he. You, that you begs the question, that? though. If Perez does leave Red Bull. Is there a seat for him in any of the other nine teams? Oh, it's hard to imagine he wouldn't have a seat somewhere, but I don't know where might be the optimal. I mean, at the very least, him, we know DeVries I, is leaving. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't think you want to go too often. If I was him, I'd probably wait until Audi come in and then see if you can do anything yeah. with Audi. Or Andretti have been talking about entering. Maybe they could come in as an 11th team. Yeah, Andretti has been talking about entering for, what, half a decade now? <laughs> Isn't that funny that Audi comes in before Andretti puts it together? <laughs> well, they want to... Yeah. That's the thing. They want to come in next year. No, not next year. The year after, in 2025. Okay. So they've been tabling a bid to be an 11th team for 2025. Audi are just taking over Salva from 2026. It's kind of... Oh, I see. So that's and just like a, a takeover. And... So Andretti wants to field their own completely different team oh, okay. in partnership with Cadillac. Okay, so that's a little bit different. That's interesting that they'd enter in 25 because the regulation changes in 26. You'd think, like, why put all those resources into building a car when it's going to be obsolete in one year? I guess I mean... they just want to get in as quick as possible and, like, sort of make a name for themselves in the sport because they haven't... Like, Andretti yeah. hasn't been a name within F1 since the 70s when Mario Andretti was winning championships. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I take that back. You know, it's like if you wait around for perfect conditions to jump into anything, you're never going to do it. Like conditions are never perfect. And it gives them that kind of comfort year. Whereas if they don't do very well, they can say, well, I mean, we're at the tippy top, you know, of where everybody has had years to perfect these regulations. And of course, we're not going to come in and take first. And so it gets gets them a, a year to work the kinks out, I guess. And also, if they end up doing well, like... They, All the more. they can't just, yeah. they can't just like, because a lot of people, if they came in in 2026 and they get the regulations spot on and they end up being a surprise front runner, a lot mm. of people are going to say, oh yeah, well, they just, they've just done that because they just entered when everything's reset and now everyone's reset. Everyone's had a blank slate. Some okay, are good, yeah. some are bad. But if they come in the year before that and they're still good, yeah. they've then worked, they're then working with the regulations that other people, the other teams have had five years to work on. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's definitely the case. I just don't see them coming in and doing super hot right off the bat because of the disadvantage. Yeah, you never know. They know how to run a race team. They have a very good indicator. So. Yeah. 
Well, so so you don't think Checo's going to find another team? He'll go back to karting, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He'll be his kid's race mechanic. He'll just be done. <laughs> he has two kids? Three kids? Three, I believe, now. Yeah, I think he just had another kid, huh? Mm. Let me uh, let me raise a question. Because um, there's only a couple, a few drivers that have kids. Most of them don't. Do you think that changes the way that a driver drives? You know, they want to, um, to put it frankly, they want to survive each race a little bit more, you know, when they're a father. Do you think they can throw it into corners as much? Do you think it takes away a little bit or is that just nonsense? Well, that dynamic has definitely changed a lot over the years because obviously of the increasing levels of safety in the sport. Sure, yeah. Now okay. they are obviously a lot more mental than they would have been like with, with kids especially like that might play onto the minds but it because there's been such a drive for safety and, and driver safety especially mm -hmm. like they know that nine times out of ten if they get into an accident even a they'll big survive. looking accident they'll be exactly fine like they'll be perfectly yeah. fine they'll walk out completely unscathed okay but yeah say if 50 years ago there mm -hmm. was a chance that like in the 60s as well they'd lose four drivers every season Without without fail, they yeah, four drivers in decade. Formula One would die every season, and it, it would yeah. be at that in those times in that era where you'd be like, okay, I need to tone it the fuck down, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So recently, probably not so much because okay. the cars are that much safer and yeah, not yet. Like I said, nine times out of ten, they get into an accident, they'll be fine. Yeah, I see. But it definitely plays on the mind, I think, a little bit. So it's probably more just that Checo has had to stay up, you know, late at night, putting the baby back down, <laughs> than him wanting to survive. <laughs> no, I don't think his kids have anything to do with the fact that... Well, that's what the mother's for, isn't it? I guess, yeah, I guess. It should be both, but um, I can definitely see, you know, if you're a Formula 1 well, yeah, driver to be fair, on the I don't, I don't definitely think Horner's the most sympathetic type, to be fair. I think like, that is accurate. Yeah. You know, he, he's up. He's like, oh, sorry, boss. I've been I've been up since four a.m. You know, uh -huh. baby's crying. Other kid wants feeding. You know, get, don't care. Get the fuck in. We're doing some sim. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I mean, you're, and you're... on the simulator in an hour. Yeah. Yeah. This. Um, yeah, they're not. They're not scheduling the Formula One season around the school schedule. That's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I always well, just be fine. Think they all live that, in Monaco though. anyway. They're fucking sorted. Does uh, Checo live in Monaco? Uh, I think he does. For tax purposes, he probably does. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. They all. <laughs> that's, that's the reason they all live in Monaco. Yeah. I guess we're clearing, you know, eight figures. That that's... and it's always nice and it's beautiful. Like, sure. Yeah. It's so fucking lovely in Monaco. So. If Have you I been? had the money, I, I, I'd live. I've never been. No. Um. You said your grandma. She used to have an apartment there. Yeah. Yeah, which is, again, I'm taking issue with that forever. Even though she died six years ago, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I don't care. Why did you move back here? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's always funny to hear. Like, because, you know, when did she sell that? It was probably like a long, long time ago, right? It would have been around the 80s. Yeah. 70s. Yeah. 80s. And things are so different. You know, I guess Monaco's always been Monaco, but you can never predict. So there's a, um, I'm blanking on the name. It's right next to Monterey and it has a P in it. 
my um my grandpa yeah i have uh, no idea yeah let me look up uh oh pleasant grove so it's a real nice place near san francisco it's like you know right on the little peninsula it's like above pebble beach it's not necessarily the prices of pebble beach but it's a really nice area and uh nice areas weren't necessarily always nice areas you know so it's a lot more humble place so when my grandpa was younger um him or his family i can't remember the story exactly they had a house there and he said he sold it for like thirteen thousand dollars because that's what houses went for back in the 1950s or whatever it was and he always was just like if i had held on to that because houses there like median home price in um pleasant grove i'm i'm willing to bet is somewhere around like 1.5 million so like <laughs> he, he always oh, always you know had a little regret on maybe i should have stayed in that area <laughs> yeah so and yeah then, I, you I mentioned it's near monterey as well that's where laguna shaker is um, yeah if i'm not mistaken as well it's nearby i think monterey is like right on the water is laguna seca right on the water i think it's a I little bit more inland laguna seca is in monterey i think oh, right around is it really monterey. oh yeah. okay i didn't know so then you'd always that's have one of my favorite areas and then maybe you and Alexander Rossi could have continued a little friendship, like your little partnership that you had going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't uh, go that far, but he knew my name for a brief period of his life. That's all I can claim. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, like I said before, when, when we first brought that up, I don't really have that level of a claim to fame. But as we as we saw, um, it was on Friday, I had the absolute pleasure. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of getting to to go see a 2021 williams f1 car which can you bring was, up pictures are you able to share I, uh yes i may have to just use my phone and stuff like that but if i well i can pull up what you sent in the discord if you want that yeah that would be good okay because let's see no it, it was so it was so warm as well like they had one guy out of the front who worked at the at the gas station he was stood there for 12 hours in the baking hot sun while it was there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think I'm just going to be yes! able to scroll through him. Here we go. That is so cool that you got to see that. I didn't tell Lauren, so she'll find out when she watches this episode and that you got to see that. with the, the American native Logan Sargent's number on the car as well, I thought that'd be ah, yeah. cool. I so it's that, a new livery. But old car. It is the new livery on the 2021 spec. There's my dad in the background. They're just getting a slushy. This is your dad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. That's so cool. Yeah, that and he so literally, cool. like, the, the guy that I was on about who was just stood up there for, for 12 hours in the sun, he was the one who took those photos. Oh, really? He was, he was doing it for everyone, yeah. It was, he was a proper, oh. like, he was like a proper photographer as well because he was just, like, crouching down, getting the good angles and shit, like, just, like, he was moving around as he took them as well. He was, like, wow. trying to get this whole panoramic shit. That is so cool. It was so fucking fun. Like I was sweating by the end, and I downed that slushy in about like ten seconds. <laughs> did um did they fire it up? Or was uh, it just no, they didn't. No. Uh... But one one thing that happened while I was there, the people who got into it because they obviously let you in like in the barriers and stuff to to get a photo next to it. Uh -huh. The people who were there before me, <laughs> I should have been laughing at this. It was like a. Like a, an old an old lady who was uh -huh. there. And they had to try and climb like over the, the banner. <laughs> the, first what, what two, the first two got off 
high. And then the, the old lady went, one mm-hmm. leg over was fine, a little bit. <laughs> and then she started walking forward, got the second, oh. straight over the fucking barrier, oh, face planted no. with the velocity of a fucking champion racehorse <laughs> onto the pavement. Oh. <laughs> I had to look away and just do this. Oh. I've never seen someone get up so quick in my life. I'm I'm looking at this this roped off barrier area. I I wouldn't step over that. I'd go under it or just walk I, around this oh, yeah. pole back here. That's well, so I, I'm, I'm not actually quite tall, so I can my legs are big. I could step over that quite easily. But it, it's I, uh, I got reminded that some people aren't as fortunate. <laughs> How tall are you? Because I'm looking at this picture uh, here and I'm like, wow, these cars are smaller than I thought. Yeah, I'm six four. Wow. And most of the drivers are shorter, so that's why they look so big, I guess. Yeah, I think the tallest driver on the grid is 6'2". Who's that? Esteban Ocon. Oh, really? He's the Mm. tallest? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. That was my reaction when I found out he was the tallest driver on the grid. I was like, Ocon, really? Um, He gets such low amount of, like, press and attention. He's a cool guy, mm. I think. And if you look at the just above the number two... I yeah. pointed that out and I was like, fuck, that's illegal. That's a, That looks like an F-duct. If you remember ah. those from back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it looked very suspicious, but no. It was a fucking fantastic experience and it has provided me with Facebook profile pictures for eternity. <laughs> you should have um, you should have pulled a stunt where you tripped over the rope too and just landed right in the seat of that car just to catch yourself, <laughs> you know? Just well, couldn't avoid it. The, the guy said that you can go in and you can touch it, just don't climb on it or try and get in it. Oh, okay. And with me, I don't think I'd have fit in it anyway because the cockpit is so tight and so narrow. Uh-huh. It is such a squeeze to get in there. And the original, like, even the FIA sticker on the inside was in it. Wow. Did you um, did you give it a little lick? You should have given it a little lick. <laughs> no, no, no. Report back so my, for us what it tasted like. My sister was. She... She didn't, she didn't lick it, but she, she, get, oh, okay. she spent like around like five minutes just going around each area of the car and just touching it and then going to another area and just stroking the car pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Give that front little nose a little lick there. <laughs> no, they're, they're fragile as fuck as well. Like, yeah, you can oh, tell. If you, like the, if you, the if you so much fiber. as put one foot on there, like it, it snaps off and then you're going to have to pay a lot of money. So, uh, would you be able to lift these cars, like, up because they're that light? Like, if you lift it on the nose, would you be able to lift uh, it up off the front tires, do you think? If I had the proper, if I had a jack, like the, the, the pit crew do, then yeah. But then that also... Well, we know that. No, doing, I mean, like, yeah. with your... <laughs> if you had a crane, you could lift it. I get 750 that. 750 kilos. <laughs> okay. 50 kilos? I, what is that in American seven, units? 750 kilos. I will do the... Give me a second. So one uh, kilogram is about the weight of an apple. That's as far as my physics knowledge takes me. If I put this in pounds, the seven hundred and fifty apples would be a lot taller. pounds. That weighs. Okay. That's so, a lot. Uh, that's a lot. Yeah. But but the power units kind of towards the back. I'm wondering if you can, because all the stuff in the front is pretty light. I'm I'd wondering be able if you to could carry the front it. wing easily. I'd, I'd get the front wing. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But no, if you if you ask me to lift the rear end and the, and the engine and the gearbox and that, I'd say get fucked. <laughs> well, next time you see a F1 car, give it a little lick for us. I'll that's, do that. That's, that's almost the next year. I'm, I'm getting that booked. Yeah? Do you have tickets already? 
Uh, no, they're not out yet. Oh, but okay. I have the, the, the camping sorted, and we're just waiting for tickets to come out. Nice, nice. So hey, speaking that's a of... walk that's going to that's gonna happen next year. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, how light and fragile um, these cars are, and especially front wings, uh, uh, Max... <laughs> <laughs> Max took a tumble into the wall right out of the pit lane and had a little laugh uh, about it later even. He was just did not yeah, care. Yeah, in the press conference, someone asked him if uh -huh. that shook his confidence. And he was like, <laughs> no, no, no. No, yeah. that, that didn't shake your confidence. It was just, you know, you um, engineer asked what happened and he got, I understood into the wall. It's that simple. Yeah. Well, with the performances that he's been delivering, I mean, he could do that about 25 times before anybody starts to raise an eyebrow. So He, at least we saw this stat, he now has enough points himself to be leading the Constructors' Championship. Oh, himself? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he has enough points by himself to lead the Constructors' Championship. And at that point, you just go on holiday or something. Like, mm. leave for a, a race. Just make it interesting, for the love of God. Does Does he have the points locked in? I haven't done the math. Is he definitely winning the drivers? Yeah. No chance, even if he just doesn't even enter the rest of the races? Well, no, I don't think so now. Um, oh, okay. I, I do think that if, well, if he missed every single race, then yeah. he, I don't think he'd win because that depends okay. if the, the people behind him win. Because if again, then because we've seen how close the field is, and there's, there's every possibility that if Max doesn't race, then you have a different winner every week because that's how close it's been. Yeah, yeah, then that's Paris true. Win one week, then the Claire, then Signs, then Hamilton, then Russell, then Norris, then Piastri, then well, maybe not. Maybe not like that far down the grid. Like I was gonna say, Logan Sargent could win, not a fucking chance. Um, yeah. So it's not a mathematical certainty by any means. But considering that, then actually that the points would be distributed pretty evenly. There wouldn't be one runaway driver. Maybe, maybe he could maybe just fuck just off and win. Maybe we just kill Max Verstappen. Maybe we just. He'd posthumously win. Still. <laughs> That's actually happened before. Oh really? That has happened before in 1970. Uh, Jochen Rindt died in practice from uh, in the Italian Grand Prix in 1970, and by that point, I think there were six rounds left. He'd already had enough points, but the point system back then was so different. He had 70 points, mm. and he still managed to win the championship after he died. Wow, Ollie, let me just. <laughs> How the fuck do you remember that kind of stuff? Just on the top. We didn't prep that at all. You're just like, oh, yeah, 1970. I can't, meanwhile, remember what I had for breakfast an hour ago. That's amazing. No, I've got a very selective memory. I remember random shit like that, but then I forget the things I should remember. It's weird. And, and modest, ladies and gentlemen. And modest. <laughs> Not as modest as Oscar Piastri. <laughs> oh, yeah. That guy's, he interviews well, you know? He does. Um, I, I don't like seeing he's been media trained because well, he has, but he like it's sort of a, you know, that's sort of a, a, a term that's like you know, they got him by the bollocks and like the, the, the sort of they got the vice grip on him. <clears throat> but he is very, very good with media. But he's yeah, yeah. so goddamn modest. It's unreal. Like I, I told you this before we started in the F1 show live on the grid on on Thursday afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, they had called both McLaren drivers out, <clears throat> but Lando was late. Okay. And it was just Oscar that came out first. Okay. And it was like, oh, the... and Natalie Pink of the presenter was like, oh, no, it's just Oscar. Well, I think Lando's running a little bit late. And he runs up and he's like, oh, you, you've got the wrong McLaren driver. <laughs> That's wonderful. I love stuff like that. I love it when the people who get the media spots 
you know, and we see on the screen are good role models. I always think of the kids, you know, Hamilton was just such a wonderful role model for somebody to be on screen and on the interviews for such a, you know, long amount of years. And uh, I would love to see Piastri continue to be, you know, get some media attention because he's that clearly somebody. Kimi Raikkonen's son. I think I told you already about this in, in, in when he was karting, Matthias Raikkonen. He oh, takes yeah. after his dad so well. Because I, I, I did talk about this. <laughs> He, he was on the podium. He won the race in, in the karting. And he goes, um, the interviewer goes, oh, uh, how do you feel about uh, winning this? He goes, good. And then after this result, do you, do you think you'll be able to, to get a podium in the next race and maybe win the next race? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if we're talking yeah. about role models, Kimi Raikkonen is the ultimate. <laughs> 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 for just shutting down like all the you know <laughs> speculation and all of that uh, yeah i guess so. i'd love I him so. to still be an f1 with all the because how popular is getting in the media now oh my god he would be <laughs> he's the anti-mediaist yeah he really is but that's it would be so funny just to see him like in the like the whole media age of formula one when it's just risen so quickly and grown yeah. so fast yeah. To see him try handle that would be hilarious. <laughs> okay, so speak, you're doing a callback to something you'd mentioned before. I uh, I'd mentioned pretty soft last time when we were talking about uh, footballers' contract. Shit, who was it? Yeah, it was Messi. Was it Messi? Messi. Yeah. So I went back and looked. I wasn't wrong. It just wasn't like widely. It wasn't like the biggest headline of it. Like it was a big amount of money, but. What I was, what I had heard, and what I had clued into was, I think that um, one of the bigger parts of that deal was his uh, cut of the the media share, like the streaming revenue of, I believe it was Apple TV. Oh. And to me, that's a big deal. Like when you, when you say in this era of like you know media becoming bigger and bigger presence in sports and bigger presence just in general um it's growing and so i i wonder if because that kind of places him as being um you know taking taking equity from his own presence as a content creator you know it's almost like it it puts a new kind of spin on like what is uh you know an athlete is is he also in part a content creator because that's genuinely that's an accurate i think representation but they never get a cut of the revenue they're always just paid like laborers and so it's like kind of this like interesting transition from instead of just like athletes being given a salary you know given the media given the attention and all that stuff and they get all the glory but they don't really get a cut of the ownership of like a team necessarily that they're a part of they don't get a cut of the media share of what was made on a weekend on a big thing um but his deal he gets i don't know what percent or whatever the deal was but he gets something from the streaming revenue i think that's a really big deal and it makes me wonder if uh you know the first thing it makes me think of the first person it makes me think of in formula one is like hamilton hamilton is arguably a bigger name than formula one itself he's yeah. such a wide celebrity and i think he fits in that exact same category he's just this like otherworldly celebrity and he's stuffed into this sport where literally they're making so much money off of him and obviously he's making a ton of money himself 
and he's comfortable and he's a relatively humble guy. I don't know that he needs more money, but from the perspective of this messy deal, I think Hamilton and others, you know, of his same stature in other sports could be calling for similar deals of, hey, give me a cut of the ownership. I don't necessarily need a salary. I'm not some monkey. Like, give me a cut of the ownership of this team. Give me a cut of sponsorship deals that the stickers are going on the car. Like, give me a cut of the streaming revenue. I just think it's a really interesting shift that we, I don't think, have seen of any, you know, athletic um deal before that's what was interesting about that but i wasn't prepared to talk about it i didn't no, do my research uh, enough. that's that's sort of the way that could either go very good or very bad kid because then if if deals like that started happening on mass then you'd have all the fans like there'd be an uproar saying oh well he's like just demanded this and and like oh how can you be so greedy and like how can you want that much mm-hmm. like because because f1 drivers at the moment they're they on enough money at the money at the moment they're on enough to, to go like anything the team asked them to do, you're like, yeah, fuck, okay, yeah, you're paying me well. I'm, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna sure. say no because sure. you're paying me what, like, ten, like five, ten million a season. Yeah, or more for Hamilton, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, but I, I often see like because every race they go to, the drivers are just milked for as many PR stunts, as many activities, as many media opportunities right. as they can be. But right. I actually think those look quite fun, and I, I, I'd like to do stuff like that. They go, they always go on about how busy they are. Mm-hmm. and how little time they have for anything else but to be honest like a it's it is a job and, mm-hmm. and and b like what what could be so bad you know you get to travel the world mm-hmm. meet so many new people you get to put your name out there you get to appear on so many talk shows you know like it, when they go into go to miami they do stuff like they play football with the dolphins like that's yeah. so cool there is a lot of cool i guess yeah, I guess if you gave me a billion dollars, you would never hear or see of me again, nor would anybody. And I guarantee I'm a different person. when they go to Vegas, they'll do something with the Raiders. That will be cool as fuck. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I just think, yeah, I think they should be getting a cut of that. I don't think, I, th- I think, this is basically my point, is that Messi's deal kind of may throw up a question of like oh are these little perks of the job of oh you're famous and you get the glory and you also get a nice salary like you're definitely comfortable but like you're famous um should that come with some actual hard raw monetary companionship like i think that uh i think that messi's deal speaks to what his value actually is and he's getting a more real cut of the revenue that he generates whereas I think athletes oftentimes get swindled. I think the further down in the ranks you go, it's worse and worse. You know, think of like college football and everything. Like there's a lot of, um, I don't know if exploitation is too strong of a word, but it is cutthroat and you don't get much until you make it to the end. And I don't know. I think it has, um, I think the conversation could be changing because of Messi's deal. I think people that have the power to maybe cut a deal like that should be looking to cut a deal like that. Don't leave a quarter of a billion dollars on the table. You only have so many years where you are on camera 24 seven. I don't know. I don't think it's greedy. I think the people that are making billions and paying millions are greedy. If you're going to call anybody greedy. So let's, let's give the revenue to the people who we care about, not the suits in the background that we never see. Oh yeah. It's just too, it's like very 50, 50. You're either going to have public uproar, or people are going to be like, oh, you know, that's that's not a bad idea. But now we move on to the probably the most predictable section of this video. Let's do it. Where, should, like, because it's weird how this one has changed because 
if I asked you for your, your driver of the day, like, say, four or five weeks ago, Max Verstappen easily. But yeah. now for the past two weeks, it has been Lando Norris easily. Yeah. With, like, by a, a lot, by a, some yeah. distance as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just Same for me. So unbelievably. And like, McLaren as a whole as well with Piastri up there as well I, I was gonna say it would have been piastri but um just for the sake you know he's a rookie and like look at where the fuck he's doing i, I think if piastri made it on the podium uh-huh. then he would have got driver of the day which honestly wasn't his fault but still results are results but norris really clawed defensively for that for that podium for that second place uh oh, yeah. keeping hamilton behind him so that to me made Norris's drive just far and away, undebatably the best drive of everybody on the on the grid today. Now onto the thing where we might see some split opinions. Flop of the weekend. Joel, who is your flop of the weekend? You know, I didn't really give that too much thought. Why don't you go first? Alpine for me. Alpine like, just as a team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just because like they've had so much going for them recently. Like obviously they've come off the the, the podium in Monaco. They've come off a massive investment from ryan reynolds and rob McElhenney and michael b jordan oh, yeah. like things were starting to, to come good for them and they mm. were starting to turn around for the better and then to have ocon retire 10 laps in and then get yeah. and then for, for gasly okay it's not his fault mm. but the results are the results and mm. gasly showed up as a dnf so you gotta go by that and yeah. alpine have just not been on it they they showed good pace in on friday the long runs were okay, but then just to have everything come falling down in the race. Yeah. That's that's why they're my flop of the weekend. Joel, how about yours? Uh, yeah, well, so for, what happened to Ocon? I don't remember why he was out. That was a hydraulics leak. Oh, okay. So car issue. Dang. Um, okay. I think my flop of the weekend is uh, Stroll because I think... Uh, I think there's a lot of blame to throw at him for that um, Gasly incident. Um, what do you think? <laughs> I think I agree with you on Alpine, but I think to call out just some individual driver, it would be Stroll. Um, it's really interesting to see how strong Aston Martin in general started, you know, as a team this season. And the past couple races, they have not looked like the automatic second fastest team. And Stroll has really, I mean, so last weekend you kind of, um, you came to his rescue a little bit with his wrist issues. You noticed that he was still having wrist issues. Um, I don't know, maybe his wrist had a twitch and he just decided in order to ease the pain, he needed to slam his car into Gasly. But to me, I think it's becoming clear that Stroll's not really um, helping the team so much. Uh, What I want to ask- been good around around Silverstone. Um, okay. He, he he hasn't made Q3 since 2018 when he was driving for Williams uh, in Silverstone. Mm-hmm. And that was when everyone was all like, oh, Lance, like, he's actually such a good young prospect. And then not more toward, like, towards the sort of meme driver that he's turned into now. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, Fernando has always been carrying Aston. That's been no yeah. secret. And there have been times when Lance Stroll has popped up. So I think Lance is a very circuit-specific driver. He'll either be on it or he won't be. And this weekend, he wasn't. I want to ask what you think. You know, this conversation has been brought up, uh, you know, off and on through the years, honestly. But, like, uh, do you think that um, Stroll will ever be kicked off the team? 
Do you think his father no. will ever kick him off? No, not a chance. That I was do. my opinion for a long yeah, time. No. But as long as Lawrence Stroll is the CEO of Aston Martin, Lance Stroll yeah. will have a race seat there. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna kick your own son out of a team. Like how? Like that actually, this reminded me of a, of a would you rather question that I got asked, um, which said that would you rather never like be be how we are now and never have a sniff at a race seat in any category or drive in Formula One with a top team, but your dad is a combination of Lawrence Stroll and Jos Verstappen just shoved into one. Oh my God. I know, that'd be bad. Uh, yeah, I I think that it's hard for me to imagine him taking Stroll off, but at the same time, it's hard for me to imagine the personality and character uh, that is that is required to get to um uh, uh papa strolls you know status in life mm. like that's not an ordinary person and i kind of started considering that a little bit more and the amount of cutthroatedness that would be required to get to that place um i don't know necessarily his whole history but i just know you can't shy away from confrontation you know to get there i think that's just it's, there's a possibility. I think in my mind, when I realized, when I thought about like what it takes to get to that amount of you know power and and I don't know. On the other hand, powerful people, you know, it's like keep it in the family. It's very godfathery, you know. But <laughs> maybe I've been watching too much. I don't succession. know how many more times I can say this, but I genuinely do believe Lauren Stroll being at Aston Martin is the worst possible thing that could happen to Lance. Hmm. Because he, Why do you see? Like, because I, I've said this before. I like Stroll always has that security of it doesn't matter if I do oh. bad because my dad owns the team. I hope he doesn't think that way, but it he, wouldn't no, surprise does. me. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Your dad owns the team. You're in the car, and you're thinking, well, he's not going to kick his own son out my team, so it, it, I'll be fine. And yeah, I guess take it would that be pressure a hard away thing from him. You'll see an absolutely transform. I'm telling you, you'll see a transformed Lance Stroll. Run him lean, keep him mean, huh? You have that pressure on him that he's fighting for his seat and that he's, he doesn't have that security anymore and that he can't just play the dad owns the team card anymore. He mm. will be transformed. He'll maybe not win races, but he will be so much higher up the grid than he is now. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I don't have anything to suppose about it because we have no idea who Lance Stroll would be without all of the context of his father i just you know it's a very Williams, defining thing he set so he set so many records um he was the joint youngest podium sitter for williams in 2017 when his dad didn't own the team he mm, was the joint youngest I front row sitter that. he was the youngest actually he was the youngest driver to qualify in the top three until that was broken yesterday by oscar piastri wow wow so that just shows you how good he can be when his dad doesn't own the team. Yeah, his dad was funding Williams at the time because they were in a little bit of financial trouble. Okay. But that still doesn't mean... He didn't that... own it. No. And the worst thing that happened was that when when he got, when he left Williams, when he got kicked out, his dad just transferred the funding to Racing Point. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and then signed him on there. Yeah. So at Williams, he proved he's a Formula One caliber driver. It's just now that he has the safety net of my dad owns the team, 
we haven't hmm. seen really what he's capable of because he's always had a teammate, whether it be Felipe Massa at Williams, whether hmm. it be the Sergio Perez at Racing Point, whether it be hmm. Sebastian Vettel or Fernando Alonso. He's always had a senior teammate yeah. who is proven in the sport, who is experienced right. and who he knows can carry the team for him if he doesn't do that good. Huh. Who do you think wants uh, wants it more? His dad or him? For his performance? <laughs> Probably his dad. Because he's put so much so money too. into this team. He needs to get something back from it, yeah. I think so too. I heard that um, Lance was actually into like golfing more. And his dad was like, no. You race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, one take that I heard is that um, whether Lance is on the team or off the team, it's Lawrence's decision either way. Like it's Lawrence's call that he's racing that didn't come from Lance, and it's <clears throat> it'll be Lawrence's call that he's not racing. <laughs> so it's kind of a sad situation. Think about it, but I don't know really what happens. We're just guessing from yeah. the outside. Now on from that, we have radio message of the weekend. Yeah. Joel, I'm going to go to you for this one. What is your radio message of the weekend? There's a lot of good ones. Uh, there's a lot of good ones. Usually I go with like a funny one, but I'm just feeling so much McLaren pride that I'm going to pick from the handful of messages that were just pouring amazing <laughs> positive comments on how fast that car was. So I'm going to go with uh, Hamilton saying that McLaren's a rocket ship. Fucking loved to hear that. Because, you know, he tried to get by Norris for those past 10 laps and he fucking couldn't do it. He couldn't do it softs versus hard tires couldn't do it that mclaren's a rocket ship and What's if you yours? could have anybody in formula one compliment you and your car <laughs> it would be lewis hamilton yeah <laughs> you know the friendship on the podium for those three like norris mm. and max are very good friends lewis yeah. right in there I, it's just it was such a happy time with i all think three lando being there was the only reason that lewis and max didn't want to kill each other yeah <laughs> yeah he was the mediator a little bit but <laughs> That was just so cool. Mm -hmm. And now as for my radio message of the weekend, I'm going to go back to what I was saying before about Oscar Piastri and his endless modesty. <laughs> when when he was in on, on the radio in practice, he'd just gone quickest overall. His engineer had told him, All right, Oscar, you've gone P1 and we're purple in sector three. And he replies back saying, really? Oh, well, everyone else must have had a terrible sector three then. <laughs> I love that guy. When he does anything good, yeah, he I'm just, sure his confidence will build if he keeps. He could win falling. a race and we go, oh, everyone else was about a stinker. <laughs> yeah, and and yet I can still picture him um, having that like you know race leading confidence. Like if he wasn't in, in charge and in front, sometimes you can psych yourself out if you don't feel like you belong there. Um, I experienced that in karting at least. Like it's a real big mentality shift when you start getting to the front of the grid and you're not following anybody, it, it can really spell the end of um, of people's, you know, like rise in competition if they can't handle being out in front. And what reference point do you look towards? Like, how, do you just freak out because you're worried about what's behind you? Or do you look a couple corners ahead and just worry about your own race? I could see him, despite his modesty, still being able to lead races. Yeah, and he's not had any of that, has he? He's, he's had the same level of, of confidence and, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> like, I don't know, just, just confidence, I guess. Whether he's fighting for P3 and P2 or fighting for P16 and P17. For sure. Like, oh, yeah. He's he doesn't got a lot have of fighting. any of that mentality shift. Yeah. And he, he's just the same cool, collected, calm head no matter where he is on the grid. And that's what I think 
could play a big part in him potentially challenging for world championships in the future. In fact, I might name him the biggest on-track and off-track difference in personality. He's very aggressive on track. He'll oh, get yeah. get his car around. And especially at that start. Just sure that you don't cool. want to race to a Daniel Ricciardo? Uh, yeah, well, he's not on the grid <clears throat> right now, unfortunately. Well, no. But there was <laughs> that, that onboard clip from Mexico, wasn't it, when he got the 10-second penalty? And he was lining cars up. And I remember he was stuck behind Esteban Ocon going down the DRS straight. And as he was moving past, he was just like, and yeah, just, <laughs> and then just absolutely blasted past it. So yeah. in terms of all time, definitely Daniel Ricciardo is the biggest gap. Yeah, that. yeah. Although he's funny off track too, though. I feel like that matches him. His little finger gun. I don't feel like that's like a mean yeah. aggressive well, thing. He's I so feel aggressive. Like... He's so aggressive on track. Okay, yeah, I'll and give you that. And when he's off track, there isn't a second where he's not smiling. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Yeah. But the finger gun thing, I feel like that was just all humor. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty fun. That's just him being like the same ruthless, like sort of taking no shit, no prisoners, same uh-huh. like Daniel that we saw at Red Bull. I see. Who do you think uh, uh, matches on track and off track personality the closest? Matches. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I have a. I. I. There's a. There's a few people. I think. Yeah, we'll go on it because I'm. I'm struggling to think. I think Gasly drives okay. about how he talks <laughs> and i think max drives about how he talks hmm. yeah max is a good one i'd also go lewis to mm. be honest because he drives like he's the shit because he is and he also talks like he knows he's the shit right <clears throat> yeah so there's, there's there's such a balance there and like you know when you see him in your mirrors you're like so yeah i find him to be pretty cool and calm in interviews and stuff mm. and even on radio like while he's driving he'll just be pretty calm usually and he always talks like he knows he's the best there like yeah he does he does know he's good that's true yeah although last weekend he was pretty upset we saw kind of a different side but we already talked about all that (laughs) yeah drive we know the car is shit lewis drive it uh, when he when he complains that then the, the, sometimes the team radios when things aren't going well for Mercedes as much as I want them to do well. Oh, so yeah, funny. yeah. Oh, they're so funny. Uh, George had a pretty good race. Just to throw another name in there for the race, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like again, we didn't expect him to go that long on the sauce, and his time management was just on point. I love how he always gets the strategy right. I know he's he's making calls or at least having significant input for those types of decisions he started on softs in a sea of mediums and showed the grid that the softs could go we would have had a very different race if george didn't start on the softs because nobody would have known nobody would have without watching george demonstrate nobody would have thrown used softs on there it would have been a completely different race so Lando said uh, Verstappen ruins everything, but this time yeah. I think George may have ruined it because McLaren made the hard call, and yeah, everybody else took note of George. Hmm. I believe we have now literally talked about everything we possibly could have. I think that wraps it up, yeah. So Absolutely. once again, let's help Ollie get a new chair and a new computer. Yes! So hit that link in the description, buy some McLaren merch, do it. They're a please. team on the rise. Buy some Piastri merch. He deserves it. Yes. He's a legend in the future. To be able to walk around feeling proud. 
Yeah, use our link and we get just, you know, we get a couple schmeckles out of that. We'll put it straight towards a new chair <laughs> for Ollie. Um, catch us next time. When, is it next weekend as a race or two weekends? Uh, two weeks. Two, huh? Yeah. yeah. Two weeks time the next race. And that's Hungary. In Hungary, yes. All right. Well, we'll see you then. This has been House Call Sports Race Review. He's Ollie. I'm Joel. Signing off. See you. A couple of months ago, we are going to be talking about the Ravens, the Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Quick 